Welcome to the Unscripted Authentic Leadership Podcast, a podcast where we're seeking to lead change, but also seeking to understand. We're also here as a platform for leaders to come together to unite, to develop, and empower other leaders in the areas of business, family, and community. I'm your host, Lafayette Lane, joined by my co-host, John LeBron. And today, we are joined by our special guest, Dr. Omolara, who has joined us to have an incredible conversation about more than a vision, lesson learned while building a purpose-driven social impact business. Just a little bit about Dr. Omolara. She is an expert in purpose-led entrepreneurship and in securing funding for healthcare, addressing medical racism for marginalized providers and patients, and building socially responsive healthcare spaces. She's also been featured in several media outlets, including People.com, NBC News, Medscape, Essence.com, Newsweek, Cranes, Politico, Reuters, and NPR, which means she's big time, y'all. And today, she's right here on Unscripted Authentic Leadership Podcast. Dr. Omolara, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. I am not big time yet. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) But thank you again. That was wonderful. Thank you. Absolutely. Doc, let's get right into the conversation. I'm excited. There's a lot of things that's even in our topic that I really want to dig into. And I'm sure John as well and our audience, there's a lot of things that I think that will be of value to them. One of the first things that I really want to unpack and kind of get a working definition about the social impact business. What what does that mean and how is that um, pertinent to what you do? How important is that about having that social impact business? Yeah, I think, you know, business, of course, can look many in many different ways, even um, what we call most times we say for profit businesses when we're talking about businesses, but they can be nonprofits as well. It's really an exchange for value for money. Right. And I think that one of the things that is really important about social impact is what we're doing here is thinking about how does my business bring value to a specific social population, so a specific population that is enduring some kind of social issue or bringing some social change. So that a lot of times looks like marginalized populations potentially, or it could be around a specific issue that affects a large targeted people. So we talk about community businesses that are hopefully bringing some value, or we talk about an environment, a business that is working on maybe climate change. So it can be any of those kinds of businesses where the main, the main target is not solely bringing that person value, but really causing a transformational, transformational change for a specific issue, condition, community, or the so forth. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so you, you have talked about lessons learned while building this social impact business and having more than a vision. Can can we start with that first part on having more than a vision? What do you mean by that when you say more than a vision? Yeah. So I think that, you know, I, there are a lot of us who come up and are like, oh, this is like an amazing thing that I think should exist in the world. Right. And the thing about it, oftentimes it comes down to one time, energy, and money, okay? Mm-hmm. We know that time and energy, especially as, um, you know, myself as a Black woman, we know that a lot of times money was scarce, so time and energy was what we used to make sure that things happen. But a lot of times what I've found is that 
when we're thinking big and we're thinking about these massive populations, we almost get scared or overwhelmed by our mm. vision. And we're like, well, that of course is gonna need hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that's not in my bank account. So, and for a healthcare professionals like myself who have a huge amount of educational debt, that is not something that they're looking forward to getting another loan or anything like that. And so then it starts to become less and less tangible and they, and they start to doubt whether it can happen. Um, and so my thought for people is starting to think about what are the ways that you actually almost created that MVP or a specific smaller version of it? Or what are the ways that we can potentially find funding for you, right? To actually be able to manifest what you're doing or a specific version of it. So there are three things that I think about whenever I'm thinking about more than a vision. I'm thinking about, can we make it smaller? What's the smallest, most transformational part that we can focus on? What is a way that we can potentially get capital? If there is no smaller transformational part, it has to be you know, something that needs a substantial amount of capital. Or where is the network that you can start to tap into that's existing, already serving the population, but doesn't have the thing that you need, that you um, offer, excuse me, and they right. need that. So those are kind of the three ways we start to move them out of thinking about it to like <laughs> now planning. So when you say, can we make it smaller, you mean like more localized or like a smaller scale, I guess? It's, it's either or. So for example, I'll give you an example of our business. So Strong Children Wellness is um, one of my two current businesses. Strong Children Wellness started from pretty much and I work that I was doing as an intrapreneur, right? And so I was at an institution, mm. was partnering with a community organization um, through a grant that we had and was basically taking care of kids within a school. And then we were like, this is amazing. But I brought it to my institution and said, can we like figure out a way to do this bigger and more structured? And they were like, that's absolutely crazy. Right? And so I was like, I don't think it's crazy. And I found two other people who didn't think it was crazy either, um, who were collectively frustrated. And so what we said was that smaller version, we found transformation through that. Let's use the results of that to now be able to say, okay, what if we now actually were able to get some money to buy an actual medical like furniture and, and find a space within your organization? And so it started really with just having two medical rooms and getting another grant with the idea. To date, what we've been, so we got our first 125,000 just writing the idea and saying, this is what we did in the school. And then they were like, oh, cool let's give you some money. So like, let's put some structure around it. Let's give you some furniture. Let's give you a proper medical space and let's see what happens. And during that we were dead, like very important. I think one of the things that's really important when you're thinking about funding or investors is results, 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 results. So we were really clear about this is what happened. We saw this patient. These are the anecdotes. This is the data. And from then we were able to now capture bigger money. Right. And so to date, I think we have raised in 18 months about six hundred twenty five thousand mm dollars -hmm. for us. But that's without loans, not VC money. Um, wow. That's grants pretty much. Wow. Go ahead, bro. 
No. So basically start small and then you can scale up is basically what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. And start and it can be small. And you, like you said, it can be small size wise mm-hmm. or it can be small in terms of the specific thing you're targeting. Like mm-hmm. when we started, it was just the medical care. Now we're in behavioral health and we're like, mm-hmm. oh, let's add some team members to do that. So, yeah. Makes sense. I work with an organization that did shoes. She was a nurse, actually, the lady who runs it. And um, she saw a need that of kids who did not have shoes and like literally nothing or they were just beat to heck. And nobody noticed it because down on the floor, really. And she said, let's get some shoes in these small locations. And eventually it went to shoes. It's still a primary thing, but they also have coats. And you know what I mean? But it started with shoes and you can find shoes for like five dollars a pair or whatever it is. It's probably gone up since then, but <clears throat> it's very cool. Good for you. Um, so do you find I, I noticed there's a, a there's definitely a trend of companies like for profit companies attaching themselves to social causes, right? Mm. We've talked about it because you want to do business, but you also want to impact the community. So how do you link yourself with in that sort of aspect? How do you feel about that? Yeah, corporate sponsorships. So corporate sponsorships are a really good look, right? Because ultimately, the most important thing about corporate sponsorships is doing the homework before you go. Like a lot of people are like, oh, I think this works. But what you need to do is really start looking at their press releases. Have they had news about what they're going to their website? What is What is coming up? Where's their last annual report? What did they say were the next things that they wanted to focus on? And then you come in almost with one, people are like, you read that? Like, cause nobody reads our annual report <laughs> and being able to link, this is where I think this fits in with you know the goals that you have for your organization. And you can start with potentially an event, right? Where they sponsor you. And when you get that and it's successful, then it starts to be something larger. So I think really making sure when we're first starting out, thinking of something that is well circumscribed. Like for me, Melanin in Medicine, I'm doing a summit on Saturday about, right? And so that I could have said and gone to this institution. And I think this is really important. You want to think about what your mission is. My mission is, to ensure that we have black women led owned healthcare spaces, healthcare consulting firms all over that can like really change the the landscape of healthcare. And so when my head, I wanna think about what other corporate organizations are very interested in black women entrepreneurs? What other corporations are interested in building more healthcare practices, right? And potentially that could look like, um, what what was I gonna say? Uh, medical equipment companies, right? Because they're like, oh, okay, yeah, we can get in front of those people. Yes, lots of clients. So you really want to think about where's the who is your audience and who wants to be in front of your audience. And even if your audience is small, right, you can start there and get it get funding for maybe a small um, event or something that you're doing. And then once that's successful, it allows for you to really expand. So corporate sponsorships are amazing. <laughs> so how about from um, on that same note? Yeah, you're on you're on the recipient of the of the company, right? Sponsoring mm-hmm. your events and the, and mm-hmm. so forth, attaching to your organization. Mm-hmm. Let's take it from the other angle of let's say my side. 
um, as the entrepreneur who is, I actually, I see you as an entrepreneur as well, yes. obviously, but from the entrepreneur, the company who um, started the business, but is not linked to any kind of social impact directly outside yeah. of things we do, you know, in private, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. what are the things they should look for or consider to make sure that they find the right partnership that they're seeking? Okay. So what you're referring to is let's say that the equipment people, right? Is that almost like, like Bombas socks, right? Yeah. Bombas says for every one of these socks that are made, somebody in this country, wherever it is, I don't remember their exact cause. Mm-hmm. Or you see companies that say for every one of these you buy, we plant one tree, right, that kind right. of thing. There's a cause attached to it. I don't think they're doing the planting. No. I think they're probably partnered with somebody doing the planting. So yeah, so in terms of that, I think, you know, ultimately I will say that what I've seen, because you know, I have not been on that side. I've usually been on the side of like the actual, you know, entrepreneurship that's doing the social impact work. But I have been in institutions that are aligning and have been in some of those conversations. I think the biggest thing that you want to think about is what is your what what is the place where you feel like your company wants to impact next, right? What is, and who are the people? A lot of times when I think about strategic frameworks, I think about the fact that right now my focus has been on, on Black women in healthcare. Next, I might want to expand to either a larger demographic or a different um type of healthcare, a different type of profession outside of healthcare, right? And so I have to be laser focused on what is my three-year and my five-year plan and can is can does this fit inside of it? So I yeah. think that's the thing. So like Bombas saying that is like, you know, we're really interested in, of course, homeless youth, but now we want to expand into climate change. Mm-hmm. Who would be the who would be the people who would help us do that? And so that's, I think, really about visioning. Once again, visioning and being yes. um, very strategic around that. Perfect. Yeah. So you you deal with the healthcare. That's your main focus. That's my, that's that's my baby. Yes. I focus. Okay. I mean, I think I, I honestly know, right, that even though we're starting with healthcare, just because that's the, I have most proximity, like I am very well versed in, in what I like to say, just shaking people down for money. Like I'm very well versed <laughs> in that. Whether that be writing it, whether yeah. that be and negotiating with it um, because honestly, I'm just very interested in impact, right? And I think that too often, especially, um, so for black women, I think it's 61% of our businesses are bootstrapped. Mm -hmm. For the general population, I think it's 16%. Um, And I know that- that grit. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Um, I mean mean it as a compliment, not that it should be that way, but I mean- But then, but then, right, 18 Black-owned businesses, I think it's about 18 months that we see about 80% of them fail. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the grit, grit's good to start, yeah. but not to mature, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, that's the issue where we have to be forward thinking about what is the money that we really need and what's the growth pattern and knowing that there is money out there. Um, I'm someone in healthcare and I almost got, the reason why I really decided to focus on funding was I was seeing all of these companies being birthed by people who weren't even in healthcare 
who are like from Google or tech and decided, oh, healthcare is cool. Let me get in there. And we were getting millions and millions of dollars. And I'm like, there's money out here. But then I realized people aren't as savvy in terms of how do you access it um, if you don't have a, a company that is a, that is attractive to VC or angel investors. And if you don't want to take out a loan and dilute um, your credit. No. One of the things that you focus on is uh, addressing medical racism for marginalized providers and patients. Yeah. Can you kind of speak to that? Because I recently, my wife and I, we recently had a, a baby boy. He's eight weeks. Oh, and, whoa. Um, oh. Right, right. You still awake? You, you, you sure? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm doing all right. Now, my wife has another story. But <laughs> um, one of the things that before we got pregnant, I was reading on, and I'm not in depth on the medical field side of it was the care that black women gets like from OBGYNs and yeah. doctors that is much different than other ethnicities because there's a misconception that black women are stronger or have a, a higher pain tolerance and things mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. So these are things that I was kind of cognizant of going into our the, the birth of our son. But now that we have a medical expert on here, especially as a black woman that can speak this term of medical racism, because I think, you know, racism is just a, a general term. And I just think we think black and white, but it's much deeper than that. Yeah. And I want to provide some exposure, but also some solutions to what that looks like and how can we improve in that area? Yeah. So I'm really excited about this. I'm also a co-founder of um, a, a group called Coalition to Advance Anti-Racism in Medicine. And mm. our big, and it was actually started by myself and seven other um, Black women physicians after, um, I don't know if you're familiar, a case called Susan Moore, um, who was a physician who actually went on Facebook during the COVID pandemic um, and was saying like her, her doctors are trying to kill her because they weren't, um, they weren't believing her. Um, and she's a physician, right? <laughs> and they weren't believing her. And um, she ended up dying about three weeks later from COVID. She had to call, talk to the highest level. Um, and they finally um, admitted her um, in the ICU. And she ended up passing away around December 22nd, I think it is. Wow. And I was, um, and right before that, in the same state, Another doctor um, died uh, during child uh, two two days after childbirth of um, some complications from preeclampsia, and mm. all of these came to a head. And I think one of the things around medical racism is the idea that when people enter into the medical system, there should be equity in terms of how they're treated, in terms of the information they get, in terms of diagnosis, um, and also in terms of um, information not only that they get, but how the encounter goes in order to solicit and make sure that they're heard. That honestly is what leads to the differences that we see in outcomes. So for example, one of the most recent things around your wife is that what they found actually were that babies who were born, Black babies who were born and um, had medical providers who were disconcordant, so non-Black medical providers, they were more likely to die. Mm -hmm. um, in their first 12 months of life than those that had Black providers. That's a problem for two right. reasons. One, right, there's, there's a lot more non-Black providers than white providers. And two, sure. that should never happen, right? And so the thing about this is that 
we have to, I think a part of leadership right now, we're in a sense of, we're in a state where we're starting a business around this, which is going to be more of a nonprofit business, right? Where we're going to try and do the legwork, the advocacy work and get you know, money from the population to be able to push this agenda forward and get legislation um, around the fact that hospitals who don't abide by certain laws in terms of how they're treated, treating um, patients in terms of when complaints come in about racism, that how they are managed and investigated, if that doesn't happen, those hospitals lose accreditation. Those hospitals mm. get fined. So that those are the things that we're looking for inside of um, addressing medical racism, which is really, I think, a huge issue. And I think that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about getting more Black women-owned practices so that people have the choice and have the diversity and the same um, ability as a white um, client to be able to say, I want, you know, I want someone who understands that has my shared cultural experience for my medical mm. care, that also people who are, um, who are minoritized and marginalized have the same opportunity. So I, I loved because what you just provided was some solutions there, the loss of the accreditation or the shutdown of the entire institution. There are some patient ones though. So some, some things that I would say about patients are really about informed consent. So, right. Really being able to one, have a partner that, you know, has some kind of medical connection. So I think one is mm -hmm. always, if you're going in and it sounds almost like, I hate to say it, but it sounds almost like the talk that we give to kids about, you know, police encounters that same kind of issue that we need to give about clinical encounters. Do you have someone from the medical field who can advocate for you that you can connect with when you're going in? Do Have you been able to make sure that you write your questions down, have a notebook um, before you have your encounter so that you have all your questions there before you get to the visit? Mm. Um, ensure that you know who it is that's coming in the room to talk to you. I need you to write your name, especially on inpatient when you're hospitalized. So those are some of the things that you that we st have to start knowing to do just to protect ourselves during these encounters. Hadn't thought about that. <laughs> Go ahead, bro. So I'm just curious. Um, and, and if you don't have all the answers, it's okay. Just quite think yes, of mind. I'm just very curious about the topic. And so I'm trying to wrap my head around like the the whole the whole topic of medical racism and I'm not saying it's not a, a big thing obviously it is but it, it does, uh, during the study do they figure out like you mentioned you mentioned it, that a I think it was the baby I don't think it was the mother yeah. has a higher chance of passing away within the first 12 months yeah if they huh. are if in care by someone like a, like a white or another race right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like is, is there do they give like yeah, depth, so depth of reason. I'm trying to figure out. I'm like, my mind's going like, what is it? Is it negligence or right, you know what right. I mean? That's the only thing I could think right. of, but I don't right. know. So there's two reasons to this, right? One is that what, um, and I think they're both patient and provider related. Um, mm. There's been data before this that has been around observations of actual clinical encounters between concordant mm. patient providers. That means race, same race versus disconcordant. Some of the things that have been noticed is that there's less time that's being spent when mm. the provider and patient are disconcordant. There's also a lot of times there is a different line of questioning sometimes, which is more so 
um, or maybe I shouldn't say line of questioning, lack of questioning. <laughs> so it's more, um, this is what's happening. This is blah, 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 like less shared decision-making. Um, a lot of times also on the patient side, there's a different affect as with affect means like kind of, you know, there might be more hesitation. There may be less like there, there, there sometimes isn't that openness initially. Right. And one of the mm -hmm. things we know is that in a patient provider relationship, there like, I have to be able to elicit all of the information from you in order to be able to make a sound decision about a medical decision. And so I think one is helping providers to learn how to make sure that the patient knows that you trust them, the patient knows that you respect their values, the That's patient good. sees you as a shared decision maker and not just as someone who they are gonna tell what to do and that you're sitting down and really listening to their concerns. What we know from the data when we talk from those kind of interactions is that black patients, Hispanic patients, um, all have lower rates of feeling like those things are happening during their clinical encounters than white okay. people. Okay. That's and good. So to, I think to make sure I'm right, I'm because I knew this question would come up if I didn't ask. <laughs> someone's like, well, you know, someone else who has not experienced it and say, well, how is that true or possible? And I just right. know the question would come up. And so I felt like I had to ask. Yeah, and, um, absolutely. And so basically, when I had my kids, we didn't know the nurses, but you're there so long that you kind of get a connection pretty quick with the nurses and they kind of hang out in the room. And you're basically saying, I think is sometimes this is not all nurses is not chastising all nurses, but at a higher percentage, that connection is not being made. Therefore the questions aren't being asked. Therefore people aren't hanging around the baby that extra five minutes to say, wait, why is their leg shaking kind of funny? Or is that kind of what you're getting at? Yes, look at no. you, John. Yes, yeah. so, so, going every day. If you think, <laughs> if you think about it, right? Think about like it's the shared experiences. Like mm -hmm. I can imagine, mm -hmm. right? It's all I'm, because of this race divide uh, and, that they feel. And that's the thing: race is, is not even right real, right? It's a social construct, right? Yeah, but I, I know, but, but what has happened in America is that race, because it because it's been such a divide, it has created like you know, specific cultural like norms with that are connected to that, right? So an invisible barrier. I'm, right. So if I'm playing a certain type of music that is connected to my black nurse and they're like, oh, I love that song. Let me mm -hmm. like and they're coming in more and checking on me. How you feel? You want some more ice? Whatever, all of those, you know, it, it's yeah, like some of these things you can't con control for per se in a study. But they, mm -hmm. as we think anecdotally about our experiences, we start to see how that kind of social connection, um, connectedness is really important for medical care. Mm -hmm. Cool. Thanks for giving me that time to digest that. I just, yeah. I don't know. Go it's, ahead, Lafayette. No, I'm taking over. I will say it's a, hard, go, bro. it's a hard thing to swallow. Like that. Well, I don't out. sit from the same perspective. So I have to, you know, ask questions to gain the perspective, I guess. Yeah. I, I think so. a big part of the what you're saying though too is representation right mm -hmm. how do we push our people to go more towards the medical field so we yeah. do have that more representation like what is the i hate to use the word incentivize but i think that did that is the word i want to use yeah. how do we incentivize more of our people to hey we have a lack of representation in this area we need more people in this field what, yeah. what does that look like 
So this is hard because right. I um, I uh, had right. I'm I'm not practicing clinically right now, and it, mm-hmm. I, I developed an autoimmune disorder in 2019 um, mm-hmm. after what 15 years of practicing pediatrics. Um, and it's called multiple sclerosis. I had a, I was hospitalized. I couldn't walk. Um, that was how it presented. And ultimately when we do the math and we look back and I did the research and had to take leave, what we realized was the stress. There's something called weathering that happens that is specific to, um, kind of the medical underservicing, but also the systematic exclusion economically, politically, socially of minoritized groups, right? And so it's this idea of dealing with the discrimination, not getting your needs met, and then also having additional stress from all of that. And it causes a weathering that, and an allostatic load, which is chronic stress, that basically causes dysregulation of your immune system, cardiovascular system. So we're seeing more of us, obesity, more autoimmune disorders, more, mm-hmm. but it's almost like racism is killing us in a way, but Hmm. also the idea of being in situations where you are isolated, honestly, right? As a medical doctor, only 2% of doctors in the US are black women. So most of my like areas where I'm am are not, I don't see a lot of my people. You said 2% or 20%? Two out of 100 doctors are black women. So ultimately, one of the things around that is you're always having the second job, taking care of your patients, but then Mm -hmm. always trying to stay above the fray, make sure you're okay, like make sure no one's thinking that you're not capable. And so that causes weathering. And so Mm -hmm. as I did the research, I started to realize that I probably like burned myself out um, in medicine. And I think when I, it's, so it's a hard question to say, how do we get more people in? Because I think I, I need to, we need to make sure medicine is safe for us, first of all. Mm. And so what I would say is one, I think now it's changing where more of us are being vocal and saying, no, don't just sit down with your head down and just take it, come together and start to say, okay, this needs to change in this environment, like in, in the med school, if this is happening where you're having, I don't use words like microaggression, I use covert or overt racism. So where covert racism is happening to you, where people are like, wow, are you really a medical student? Um, you know, those kind uh. of things happen constantly <laughs> where you're like, I have a white coat and the thing, oh, okay. Um, where those kind of things are happening constantly, mm-hmm. um, you need we need to not just take them because literally everything is building up. Um, weathering, mm-hmm. the biggest thing that weathering does is we've seen a connection between it and I'm using a lot of big words today, our chromosomes and the telomeres. The telomeres are the ends of the chromosomes. If they're shorter, that means a lower life expectancy. Our our telomeres tend to be about seven, this was among women. Black women tend to look about seven years like um, shorter than white women of the same age. And, and when you control for everything, race, income, so education. So this is really important. And I think if we want more doctors, we just need to make sure that we have um, the, the room to change the systems and make sure that we're educating 
people um, in the right way um, without the with with the right leadership. So it's it's, a, it's not a straight answer. I wouldn't say you know I want to make sure people are safe when they go in so that they can truly last. And sure. Part of it, but incentive incentivizing it. I I think we need to just break down some of the barriers, which means mm -hmm. we need to like get more um, access and access to us being able to see what it's like being in medical careers. And we also need to make sure that we're thinking about ways that we can reduce like loans and reduce, you know, the financial barriers to pursuing medical careers. That was an incredible answer. And I know it was, it's, it's more complex than just a simple answer. And I think you did great in answering that you're an entrepreneur and of course, that is a big fiber of our podcast. Yeah. Um, and most of the people that listen to this are entrepreneurs, are aspiring entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. What would you say to those entrepreneurs that are listening, um, not just the minority entrepreneurs as, as we're speaking to them as well, mm -hmm. but just entrepreneurs as well, just in general, because I think the struggle is real in the entrepreneur life, right? It's not easy. Um, <laughs> no. What would you say to those that are struggling and saying, hey, I don't think that I can really do this anymore. We talked about the bootstrap thing in the beginning, but what are some things that you've learned, some lessons, some applicable things that you can give to them that say, hey, you can make it through this? Yeah, so I think definitely what I would say is clarity first. I'm a I'm an alliteration girl. I love like having things in domain like boxes where I can be like, okay, these are the things. So I always say clarity, community, commitment, and confidence. And so I'll explain mm. those. So clarity far and away. So I think a lot of us go into business and we're like. I'm going to serve men between 25 to 40 and all of them. And this is what I'm going to give them. I'm going to give them shoes. Right. And it's like, that's beautiful. But <laughs> there's a lot of people doing that. Right. <laughs> one of the things that I, I always like to think about is not what, but why. And that's because mm. I'm into purpose led entrepreneurship. And I think that when the why is so like fervent, then it doesn't become like, oh, I hope this works. It becomes like, this is going to work. It's non-negotiable. So what we're trying to do now is trying to say, is it a marketing problem, right? Is it that I'm not getting to my audience? And who do I need to talk to or who do I need to partner with to get in front of them? Is it a problem in terms of my messaging? Are people coming and then they're like, no, I don't want your stuff. So like, why am I not speaking to the right people or whatever? Is it a selling problem? where you have not been able to truly say this is the value that it brings and showing people because it's never a pricing issue, honestly. Like I have stuff, it's not a pricing issue. It really a lot of times, cause you know, you have people out here who are using credit to buy like Louis Vuitton bags, but sure. you know, whatever <laughs> it is, like, you know. And so it's like the value, What? how is this gonna mm -hmm. impact my life? Um, and really, I think just being able to be clear on those things. So, so one of the first things we do in our incubator is we have them go through an accelerator and it's all about your value add. It's all about being able to figure out how is this aligned with your purpose and vision so you can be like distinct in, in that space. And then it's all about being able to um, say, what's the transformation framework that you have? Show me exactly what parts of your thing 
are going to take someone from before to whatever that after impact. So that's the clarity. The community, who else is around you? Do you have guides? Do you have peers? Like sometimes it's just paying the membership fee so you can be around other people talking about it. I remember for me leaving medicine, it wasn't normal. People were looking at me like, why are you leaving this job yeah. that has been You're a doctor? Yeah. That, this, this, like, no, this doesn't make sense. This is not, no. And I needed, I couldn't stay in that space because I would be like, yeah, you're right. That don't make sense. Let me go back. Mm -hmm. So I had to shift myself and say, I love you. We'll, we'll talk. And I want to shift myself into communities of people who were doing that and being able to share and build my networks, but also having guides. Confidence is the piece that I think is really hard. And that's the mindset piece. And that's the piece like no one ever really talks about, right? They're all like, oh, it's not a big deal. That I think has been the thing that has, you know, in my first year in 12 months, I was like, I told my job in January, I was like, um, December 31st, I'm leaving, right? So by January, I had to, and I have, you know, I'm a doctor. So I was like, I got to replace my salary, taxes. Mm -hmm. So I, I, you know, even just a six figure, one six figure was not going to work. I needed multi six figures mm -hmm. by the time I left. And, I, and we got there, right? And in that 12 months. But the reason was because we have to have a mindset that is literally around this is going to work and I just need to figure out who are the people that are going to help it happen. Um, yeah. and the commitment is the discipline to say it's time to grow. Um, my mindset, I would say the biggest thing that is important around commitment and, and confidence is investing and making decisions from where you want to be, not mm -hmm. from where you are. So mm. there were times mm -hmm. where I had to, That's good. like, I was like, oh my God, wait, you want me to hire that person as an employee? But like, I don't know if I'm going to, and literally I did it and like the next two months or like the month after that was like my best month ever. Mm. And so we have to do that because then you make decisions differently. And then it's like, I don't know how to describe it. And so like right now I'm making decisions and we're multi-six, but I'm making decisions. I'm like, okay, to be, what does a million dollar business look like for each of my businesses? Okay. So we need to now have this in place, this in place. So let's think about how we're going to phase that in. Ooh. <laughs> you were one of my favorite guests. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it would be a good guest. Good. I didn't know it would be one of my favorites. Here's why. We ask questions all the time for detailed information. It's yeah. hard to get it. And you really? have been. I mean, yeah. people do good. Generalizations. Like, we like good. to get in the weeds, as I say. <laughs> and uh, you have real. You've really brought it today. I mean, Bro. really brought it. Yeah. I'm going to have to listen to this thing like five times. <laughs> <laughs> And your words are way bigger than the ones I know. So you oh, yeah. are incredibly intelligent and you're just a rock star. Thank you. I yeah. appreciate it. I'm sorry. I get very, this is important. I think, um, mm -hmm. I think business is a, ta a place that a lot of us are not, are not told about intentionally, like, mm -hmm. and, and then are not exposed to. Mm -hmm. And I think that, when I think it's a way for us to have more, especially as a black woman, freedom. Like I'm not interested yep. in safe spaces or brave spaces. I'm interested in freedom. Like I want mm -hmm. to be free. And Amen. 
that I find entrepreneurship now going into it as someone who loved her salary greatly, like someone mm -hmm. who was like, yay for salaries. Um, I find it to be so exhilarating and I just want as many people to take the blinders off and just consider that mm -hmm. could what they offer and their value, could it be something that brings, you know, that brings you freedom and also brings freedom to other people. Like right now we have three full-time employees, all black women, two part-time contractors and a four day work week. Right. And it's like, mm -hmm. you know, yay. <laughs> like I'm yay. I'm like, you know, that's not, stressful. Okay. I'm not saying payroll is fun, but it's exciting to know that your dream can actually help others to yeah. live a free freedom life, a first class life. Basically. Mm. You hit on something that's kind of a passion point of mine sometimes. So when I first started, uh, so my first step outside of corporate America, I had a corporate job, was when my dad had started a cybersecurity company and asked me to jump in and help him, right? Sure. We had maybe one client, sort of, you know, and uh, so it was back the whole, can we hire people sort of thing. And everybody's like, why? You got promoted. You get promoted again. Why are you leaving your job? All that kind of stuff. <laughs> and I was like, Look, first of all, I thought I'm young. I can go get another one. Not a big deal. But second, I said, like you said, we're not going to fail. But here's what I found. And everybody needs to understand this. When you work a job and there's, I'm not, I'm not capping on jobs. They're fine. But you have, a, yeah. you're, you're not, you're not, everybody thinks that that's the safe spot, right? Like, oh, I do it for the, uh, you know, security. That's the word I was looking for. But what it really is, is a cap on your growth. Yeah. They're telling you how fast you can grow or not grow. When you go, what I found is when you start working for yourself, yes, is there a little bit of this, um, You have it's up to you, of course, but as long as you believe in yourself, here's the thing. If, if you lose a client, you're in control of going and getting another client or three mm. or five. So you're 100% in control. Will you lose clients? Probably over time. Yeah. It happens, right? right? right. I've lost them before and not done anything wrong. But you're in control. When you're at the job, you don't get to choose if you walk in tomorrow and they say, hey, you didn't know this, but in our last board meeting, we had to make a budget cut and you're it, right? I mean, nope. doctor, you're, you're a doctor. So if a hospital has to make a cut, it could either be one doctor or yeah. seven nurses. What are they going to pick? The one doctor, unless they are so specialized that we can't do without them. Right. It's just how it is. The higher you're up in the ladder, the more likely you're going to get cut on a big budget cut because you want you or seven other other people. So when you work for yourself, guys, yep. you get to pick that. You're not firing yourself. Anyways. No, I love, I love that. And that, That's good. that was the boom that happened in 2020 because doctors were like... Y'all can't touch us, you know. We're we're doctors, and then they were like, um, "I'm sorry to say, but you're on furlough." <laughs> yeah. and, you know, because that was what was happening, right, yep. in 2020, and a lot of it was a wake up call. Luckily, I had started my business before the pandemic, like in 2019, like November 2019. I was like, "Oh, we're gonna start a business," and mm. then in January I started, and. I, with an autoimmune disorder, right, and very high risk, was able to say, I understand the whole healthcare hero thing, but I can't be a part of this. And I'm, I'm no, I, I, cause I was still at my job, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, but I had gone to 80% time so that I could work on it and, and got a lawyer. So please, people, 
get a lawyer, make sure if you have a job, I don't, I'm not a leaper. So I'm, I, I got two kids and a big mortgage. No, you're people, good. Yeah. Right. So I was like, okay, we're going to 80% and I'm going to do 20% my business. But before I did that, I had a lawyer say everything that I create is mine. Y'all can't touch it. Okay. Mm. So, so that's really important. But what I would say is that allowed me the freedom to be like, yeah, I'm not bringing this thing home. I'm not doing that. I'm going to be able to work and, you know, and that's more than anything. So I really appreciate what you're saying because um, I think I tweeted something recently where I talked about the fact that people say it's safe, but for us, I already told you about the weathering process, like how you have to be confined. Like it's like an armor, like you have to show up like this, do this, do that, do this, do that. And the fact that that causes shortened life expectancy, higher stress, higher cardio, is it really safer? Are you, are you really, especially? So I think it's extremely, extremely important for us to consider it and to have your job be your first investor. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> right? Be like, I'm take some of this income and pour it right into that business. So yeah, so important. That is awesome. Listen, those of you that are will watch this and those that will listen to this, we want you to stay connected to Dr. Omar. You can do that on social media at Dr. Omar, D-R-O-M-O-L-A-R-A, and also at Melanin Medicine CO on social media. Is there any other um, avenues that they can stay connected to you to? Um, so we have, yeah, our website, well, our, what we're upgrading our website for 2022. So, okay. but our quick link is bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash Melanin Medicine Co. You can see everything that we offer from work-life integration to funding your business, to building your business. And I do have to put in a plug for our summit on December 4th. You can still get a ticket. Oh, um, yeah, you <laughs> yeah, got two days. Yes, it's called Funding Your Healthcare Vision. We're gonna be, it's crazy because we're gonna be talking everything from like, you know, how to, the mindset that you need, like how do you find funding, what how to set up your funding plan for 2022. And we'll be talking to, we have guests, one, my co-founders who are coming on to talk about how we got hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then my other guest who has two businesses and was able to, um, because my client was able to move, get seven figures and is like pretty much from her grants and it's pretty much okay until like you like she can just work on delivery to <laughs> so um so we're super excited about it you can go to bit.ly forward slash melanomedicine.co and you'll see it right there amazing and as always stay connected to here on unscripted we're at Unscripted Leadership on all social media platforms. Check out our website, unscripted-leadership.com. This podcast will be available on all streaming platforms wherever you get your flat, your podcast. Again, we say thank you to Dr. Omalar for having this amazing conversation on more than a vision lessons learned while building a purpose-driven social impact business. To Dr., I want to say keep showing that black excellence. As always, we pray that you be the leader that God has called you to be. We're here to build bridges and not walls. Bridges connect and walls divide. Until next time.